Come thou fount of every blessing to my heart to sing thy grace. Welcome to the CWCCS podcast with Pastor Al Pittman. Today we conclude our Christmas message with a message of eternal peace. And now, here's Pastor Al Pittman. Peace, amen. It's what we're supposed to get when we retire, amen. Surprise, surprise. Historically, peace has always been an elusive commodity for mankind apart from God. You may have seen the report this morning in Indonesia of the concert that was being conducted on the beach at night. And while they were playing music and all, a tsunami came in and hundreds of people have lost their lives. Our peace can be taken out with a tsunami, with a changing tide, if you will, of the world. It was Neville Chamberlain, the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, who returned to England on September the 30th, 1938, waving a piece of paper, a declaration of peace that he had signed with Adolf Hitler, and naively proclaimed peace in our time on the eve, the verge of World War II. I think it was in Jeremiah where the people with the Babylonian Empire coming down from the north to Judah to conquer it because God had placed Israel under discipline because of their idolatry and their sin against God. And the prophets, the false prophets came out and said, peace, peace. But there was no peace. And Jeremiah said, you comfort God's people slightly with your ideas of peace, peace. But there really wasn't any peace. History has proven that peace attained by human efforts is elusive at best. And yet the world remains convinced that apart from God, peace can be attainable. Many have taken extreme measures to acquire some semblance of peace. I was reading where the National Institute on Drug Abuse reported, and I quote, every day more than 115 people in the United States die after overdosing on opioids, close quote. People searching for peace. There is a desperate cry in our nation and around the world within the heart and the soul of man for peace. The late Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, one day, and I quote, one day, we must come to see that peace is not merely a distant goal that we seek, but that it is a means by which we, we arrive at that goal. We must pursue peaceful ends through peaceful means, close quote. What was the good doctor saying? He was saying that you cannot attain peace unless you first have peace. The angel's declaration on the night Jesus was born declared him as our peace, the very means by which God would give peace to mankind, the very means by which we are to reach the goal. What is the goal? It is salvation. It is everlasting peace with God. But why is this peace necessary, you might ask? Well, first and foremost, a declaration of peace by these by these angels is evidence of a declaration of war. Since mankind's fall in the garden, we have been fighting a proxy war against God. 
For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We have been allied with the devil to fight against the lover of our soul, to fight against God, our creator. It's a proxy war. For the enemy has come, Jesus said, to kill and to steal and to destroy your peace. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul the apostle said, And you who once, excuse me, who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless above reproach in his sight. The work of peace. If indeed, he goes on to say, you continue in the faith grounded steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard which was preached to every creature under heaven of which I Paul became a minister our peace is attained through the body of Jesus Christ through the offering of Jesus Christ the hope of the gospel is Christ who is our peace the Bible says the multitude of angels praise God for the manifestation of our peace offering the old saying is that in the old testament christ is concealed in the new testament revealed in the old testament in leviticus chapter 3 we find there a ceremony called the peace offering in the new international version it's called the fellowship offering it's the same thing we have to have peace to have fellowship with god and it's a ceremony set forth by the law of moses it was a sacrament established by God as a prophetic ritual that pointed to the promised Messiah, that is Jesus Christ, who, whom God, on that night, the announcement to the shepherds, gave to the world as our peace offering. You say, well, how does this peace offering work? Well, in Leviticus chapter 3, there's some things that we, might, we should note that speak directly to the work of Jesus Christ for our peace. The ceremony in Leviticus chapter 3 required a lamb without blemish, without any flaws, be selected for sacrifice. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John chapter 1, verse 29. And then the priest. In the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 3, would lay his hand on the head of the animal, which represented the sins of the entire nation of Israel. And of course, the Bible tells us that our hands, our sins, were laid upon the head of Christ. Isaiah 53, verse 6, For all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Amen. And then the innocent lamb in Leviticus chapter 3 was killed by the priest at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And it's interesting that it was the priests who were crying out, crucify him. And the mock trial of Jesus. And let his blood be on us and our children. They cried for his crucifixion. And yet Jesus told us that he was born for this very reason. Christ was born to be crucified for our sins he declared it in Luke chapter 27 verse 24 verse 7 
And then the blood of the animal, according to Leviticus chapter 3, was sprinkled around the altar by the priest. Christ's blood was shed for our cleansing. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 to 15 says that if the blood of bulls and goats and animals in the Old Testament could cleanse people's, uh, their conscience or, or cleanse them for a temporary period of time, how much more the blood of Jesus sprinkled on us will cleanse our conscience from every dead work. The blood cleanses, amen. Then in addition, Leviticus chapter 3 goes on to say that the fat and the entrails of the animal would be offered on the altar as a burnt offering by fire. What does this speak of? It speaks of complete consumption of the offering. And then the Bible says in Leviticus chapter 3 that it would be a sweet aroma to the Lord. Not just because the Lord likes barbecue, amen. (laughs) Which in my theology he does, amen. But the aroma of the animal being offered was a sweet aroma to the Lord. And of course, in scripture, we know that the sacrifice of Christ was a complete sacrifice. In John chapter 19, verse 30, on the cross, Jesus cried out to tell us it is finished. What was he talking about? The, the full, complete offering for your sins, for your peace has been given. He gave his all for our sins. It is finished. And that statement to the father's ears, to the father's nostrils, was a sweet aroma to him because it represented and was a declaration of our reconciliation and our restoration through faith in Christ to the creator, God. Christmas reminds us the enmity, the hostility between man and God has now been put away forever in Christ. And yet still people fight against God. The majority of the world, the Bible says, is under the sway of the enemy. Here in our text, though, we find three things, the focus, the purpose, and the result of receiving the everlasting peace that is found in Christ. It can be found no place else. It can't be found in opioids. It can't be found in alcohol. It can't be found in illicit relationships or in power or politics. It can only be found in Christ. The first thing that I find here regarding everlasting peace is that the focus of everlasting peace. Did you notice to whom God decided to make this glorious declaration? It was to the shepherds. You say, well, yeah, that's what the Christmas story says, but it's very significant. Shepherds have always been a part of Israel's history. King David was a shepherd, amen. However, the, by the time of Christ, the occupation of being a shepherd was, was really on the bottom rung of, of the social ladder. Shepherds were at the low end, if you will, of the blue-collar workers. And I think that's interesting because the Lord would make the announcement to them and not go to one of Herod's uh, the great one of his palaces and to make the announcement there or to the elite in Bethlehem or in Jerusalem at that time. But he speaks to shepherds and I believe the statement that we should derive from, from this act of the Lord proclaiming this glorious announcement to the shepherds is that Jesus came for the downtrodden, for the forgotten 
He came for those who would not debate about their need for a Messiah or a Savior, but those who would humbly admit and confess that I need a Savior. He came for those who would humble themselves. For the Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you're here today and you said, I know I'm jacked up. I know I'm messed up. I need a Savior. Oh, I've got great news for you. Amen. The angel had great news for them. They knew these lowly shepherds. They weren't, they weren't the elite. They weren't going to debate and have a, you know, assign a committee to what the angel said. They knew they needed a Savior. Jesus said in Luke chapter 5, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, those who think they're all that, but I've come to call sinners to repentance. No one had to convince me before I came to Christ that I was a sinner. I knew I was a sinner. I was working on my doctorate. Amen. And Jesus interrupted my story. No one had to convince me. I knew I was jacked up. And note something here also, that the angel appeared to them at night. The Bible tells us that. Here in verse 8, you're watching the sheep by night. The Greek word for night can also be translated midnight. There's a great message of peace even at the midnight hour. Even when you feel like there is no hope for you. God sent Jesus to proclaim to you in your midnight hour. You can have everlasting peace. These shepherds were exhausted. They had to be. If you study anything, study a little bit about shepherds, you know their job started early in the morning. And they would have to lead the sheep out to the pasture. Remember, the pastors in Israel were not these rolling green hills like you find in England or Ireland or something. Uh, they were, they were, they were uh, just patches of grass, and in between was rock and gravel and all. And so the shepherd would have to lead them to the pasture so they could eat. And then he had to watch them all day. And someone would wander off. He had to chase and get the one that wandered off and all of this. And, and, and then at night when they brought them in, they would count each one as they passed over the shepherd's rod, go through the gate, the pen that they kept them in at night. And they, were, they would have to pass over uh, under the rod. So they would count each one to make sure they're all accounted for. And then they have to stay up in shifts throughout the night to protect them from wolves attacking them or thieves breaking into the pen and stealing the sheep. It was, it was 24-7. And they were exhausted. And, you know, watching dumb sheep all day long. Amen. And, you know, when the Bible calls us sheep, as many of you know, it's not paying us a compliment. Sheep are some of the dumbest animals on the planet. Amen? And so they were exhausted. But it really gives meaning to what David said in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Amen? The caring hand of God in a believer's life, the Lord is my shepherd. When I wander off, he brings me back, you know. When I get in trouble, he knows where the grass is. He knows where the water is. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, amen. But they were weary, they were tired, midnight hour. 
Jesus speaks to the weariness, the tiredness of our time. People are tired, they're weary. They don't know where to turn. They're looking and searching for peace. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He went on to say, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For in me, you will find rest for your souls. Why? Because my yoke is easy. My burden is light. So the focus of everlasting peace is you. It's me. It is for everyone who is weary, who desires peace, who desires rest. Is that you today? Is that you over at Creekside? Is that you watching online? Christ was born that we might have everlasting peace. And you are the focus of that everlasting peace. The second thing we find here in our text is the purpose of everlasting peace. The glory of the Lord, the Bible says in verse 9, shone around them and they were greatly afraid. And wouldn't you be? Imagine all of a sudden midnight hour, amen, probably nodding off a little bit. And suddenly there you are in the presence of God's glory, naked, still in your sins. Would you be a little bit concerned? Amen. And so they were afraid and yet the angel said to them, do not fear, do not be afraid. Why? Because where the presence of God's peace resides, fear must yield to God's authority. Where the presence of God's peace resides, when his peace is residing in our hearts, fear must yield to his authority. The scripture says in Isaiah 26 verse 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Lord, you will keep him in perfect peace. How can we have perfect peace when I'm going through this turmoil, this trial? Because God gives us peace that surpasses human understanding. You can't explain it, but somehow you have peace. And then that peace, the Bible says, is given to us to guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Amen. Peace, amen, is what rules in our hearts and fear has to yield to the authority of God's peace. And when I find in my life, amen, I'm giving praise and glory. When I find in my life there's anxiety, it's because I'm not keeping my mind on Jesus, the author and the finisher of my faith. I got my mind on other people or other things. And those things can rob you of your peace. Christ was born to deliver us from a life of fear to a life of faith. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, Love and a sound mind, or literally peace of mind. A life of power, a life of love, a life with a peace of mind. And that peace of mind is because we're in a right relationship with God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 10 tells us that God disciplines us. Isn't that wonderful? But He disciplines those that He loves. And the reason he disciplines us is so that we, we may be partakers in his holiness. You know, so that we can all wear, you know, black suits and 
women wear no makeup and long dresses and that's, that holy, that's not holiness. That's dress up. <laughs> that's not holiness. Holiness, you look at the word in the original Greek, it means God's character, his nature. God wants you to enjoy him. That's why he disciplines us. He wants you to have the best. That's why he disciplines us, that we may have intimacy with him. Peace brings us into fellowship with God. Peace is a part of God's character. Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is even mentioned there. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. In other words, you do not acquire this through some legalistics uh, system. That peace that joy, that love, all of that, the fruit of the Spirit is acquired as we are in intimate fellowship with God, a relationship of peace. Blessed is the man, David said, Psalm 32, whose transgressions are forgiven and whose heart, whose life, there is no guile. There's peace between God. There's no hidden life, no second secret life or anything. I'm, it's all out in the open before the Lord. Adam walked with God, the Bible says, in the cool of the day, fellowship with God. He disciplines us that we may have that peaceful fellowship and relationship with him. This is the purpose for which Christ has come into the world. The purpose is that we may have a relationship with God of everlasting peace apart from the fear of judgment. Through Christ, our peace offering. And lastly, we see the result of everlasting peace. Verses 13 and 14 says, And suddenly there were angels, and an angel, a multitude of angels, and of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. A better translation you could find in the New Living Translation and probably the uh, New American Standard Bible as well, but uh, New Living Translation says in verse 14 here in Luke chapter 2, glory to God in the highest heaven. You can't get any higher than God. And peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. God is pleased with us. Not because of our performance, but because of Jesus he is pleased with us. His favor is upon us. But the question is, how is it possible for God to be pleased with those who are at war with him? Well, it's by grace, by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not that we've somehow got to a place or reached a plateau where God says, okay, you've earned the right for me to like you. <laughs> it's only through faith in Jesus Christ. It's by grace. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter two, we find an explanation that Paul gives us. Many of us are familiar with it, but I thought it would be worthwhile to read it this uh, morning. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter two, beginning at verse one. I'm going to read all the way to verse 10 because it's, it's all gives us context. Speaking of God's grace, how it is applied to us. How can God, you know, yeah, God had peace with me last week because I was good last week, but this week I kind of messed up, so I know he's not at peace with me. No, you still have peace, but it's according to grace. Amen? According to grace, yes, we must repent. Yes, we must make sure that our, our focus is on Christ and that 
you know, we have repented of our sins or whatever. But, but understand that God doesn't remove the peace. We remove ourselves from the peace by our own disobedience many times. In verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you were once which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's the devil. The spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, our carnal minds, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. We were enemies of God. But God, amen, aren't you glad for that? Oh, those are two most powerful words in the Bible. But God, amen. I'm jacked up, messed up, but God, amen. I was on my way out, but God. I I couldn't, I had no hope, but God. Aren't you glad about, but God, amen. Thank God for his word. But God, who is what? Rich in mercy. Because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, enemies of God, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceedingly exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift. Christmas is about the gift. What gift? The gift you have under the tree? No, the gift of God. About God's grace that you might have peace with God. It is the gift of God, not of works. Not according to your performance. Lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship. Amen. A work in progress. Created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen. Thank God. It is by grace that we are now recipients of God's favor, goodwill toward those whom he is well pleased. How can God be pleased with me? According to grace through faith. In Jesus Christ. Amen. Goodwill. And 2 Peter chapter 1 tells us, verse 2, that grace and peace is multiplied. How? To you in the knowledge of God in Jesus our Lord. Oh man, I need grace and peace multiplied in my life. How? It's not through the knowledge of the church. It's through the knowledge of Jesus Christ and of God. The knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of his completed work on the cross for me is the basis of my peace. Whenever you feel like you've been robbed of that peace, you say, man, I have peace. And of course, the devil, the accuser, the brethren will come and say, oh, you don't have peace. God hates your guts, by the way. (laughs) You say, no, 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 devil, you're a liar and the father of lies because I know I have peace because I have grace through what Jesus has done. Not what I'm able to do. Amen. We have peace with God. There's a wonderful poem by Henry Vaughn entitled Peace. And it illustrates this very point. 
that our peace is according to God's grace. That we are the recipients now of God's goodwill and favor, not because of who we are, but because of God's grace. Poem goes like this. It says, my soul, there is a country afar beyond the stars where stands a winged sentry, all skillful in the wars. There, above noise and danger, sweet peace sits crowned with smiles. And one born in a manger commands the beauteous files. He is thy gracious friend, and oh, my soul, awake. Did in pure love descend to die here for thy sake. If thou canst get but thither, there grows the flower of peace, the rose that cannot wither, thy fortress and thy ease. Leave then your foolish ranges, for none can thee secure, but one who never changes, thy God, thy life, thy cure. Amen. Beautiful poem. He is my God, my life. He is my cure. Our peace. His peace is the cure for the turmoil in your home. His peace is the cure for the turmoil in the church, in our nation, and in the world. As believers, there are three steps that we can take to promote peace. I want to give you those before we leave today. Excuse me. The first one is in order to promote peace in our homes, in the church, in this country, in the world, is we have to exalt God's wisdom above our own wisdom. If you want to have peace, it starts with exalting God's wisdom above your own. I want you to turn with me to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. I'm going to read them. If you don't have a Bible, please listen. But if you can get there, mark it down in your Bible. This is, this is good stuff. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. God's wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. This wisdom does not descend from above. This wisdom that is full of envy and self-seeking and bitterness. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. We say things that we wish we had never said. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then what? Peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. I'm not just trying to make peace because I have an ulterior motive to use somebody for my advantage. 
Now the fruit of peace is sown, the fruit of righteousness rather, is sown in peace by those who make peace. In other words, you've got to have peace in order to make peace. Peace cannot be a goal. It is a means to the goal. Amen. I'm trying to love my wife, trying to get to a point where I could, you'll never reach that point. You got to have peace with God first before you can make peace. Amen. You got to have love before you can make love. Amen. Or it's just sex. Oh, I'm sorry. I just went there. I'm sorry. Amen. But you've got to have peace to make peace. Amen. It starts with God. It starts with God. Here's a second step that we can take to promote peace, and that is to accept personal responsibility. Romans chapter 12, amen? Personal responsibility. Romans chapter 12. All right. Beginning at verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. We should just stop right there. And we should all just collectively repent right now. No. Repay no one evil for evil, having regard for good things in the sight of all men, if it is possible. I love this. You know, Paul gets real. If it's possible, because everybody's not going to like you. Everybody's not going to be. Excited about you, right? I had a lady walk up to me last service. She goes, you know, I heard you on the radio. She was from out of town. She said, I came here this morning, and uh, now that I've met you, I'm, I'm underwhelmed. <laughs> and, so, so, I, and that's what I did. I started laughing. But she had a spiritual reason for saying it. She said, you know what? Because uh, God is teaching me it's not the vessel. I said, praise the Lord. I don't care if you're underwhelmed by my appearance. Just be overwhelmed by the word of God. Amen. Overwhelmed by the word. Amen. I have a face for radio anyway. I know people that envision, oh, six foot six, 290 pounds, former linebacker. And you get here, it's like, nah, he's nothing. Amen. God uses the foolish and the weak. Amen. Glory to God. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, not some men. Sometimes it's not possible. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, you don't give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. In other words, give God's, you know, vengeance room. You're crowding God out trying to be vengeful. You want to give God some room, bring him a cake. Amen. Be nice to him. Amen. All you're doing is pushing the furniture back because God's going to give you yours. Because vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Not yours. So we just move the furniture out of the way. Like, hey, oh, how come you're washing my car? Oh, I'm just making some room. Amen. Your heart's got to be right, though. Amen. 
Because then he says, do not overcome evil, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Amen. As you're being good to other people, it changes you. It's not about changing them, it's about changing you. So accept your own personal responsibility. As much as depends on you, live at peace. Do your part. You can't fix anybody's wagon but your own. Yes, sir. Amen. All right, let's move on. Here's the third step we can take to promote peace. That is make peace your passion. Hebrews chapter 12. Make peace your passion. Beginning at verse 14. Where's verse 14? It's in here somewhere. Amen? There it is. Pursue peace with all people. Not some people. They're just the people I like. Amen? But with all people. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. We won't see God without holiness. And we're not holy in and of ourselves. We're holy because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. You can't keep bitterness to yourself. I don't care how much you spray cologne on it or perfume or dress it up, put a smiley face on it, and it it still stinks. And it defiles people eventually. Husbands and wives walking around in the house of bitterness, it will contaminate your children. They sense it. You don't have to tell. They can sense it. And then he says, lest there be any fornicator, unfaithful person, or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food stole his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. It was too late for Esau for the blessing. And the lesson there for us is not, not that you will lose your salvation, but here's what we do sometimes is that uh, uh, we end up selling the blessings of God, the benefits of a intimacy with God for a morsel of bitterness. I want to hold on to that bitterness. And, and, and by doing so, I, I Reject that intimacy with God and for a morsel of bitterness, that which satisfied Esau's stomach, that which satisfies our sense of revenge or or, or vengeance within us, that which satisfies our flesh. We hang on to bitterness and we reject the blessings and the benefits of being one with God. We don't promote peace. We just promote bitterness. And it brings about destruction. Peace with God should be manifested by the peace we have with one another. Didn't say folks weren't going to rub you wrong sometimes. But because you have peace with God, 
you're able to walk in the wisdom of God and to overcome those obstacles that threaten to rob you of peace. And if we truly know the Lord, we ought to be the first ones promoting peace within the world. Okay, on the job, at the family reunion, you see, at school. We shouldn't join with the crowd with all the gossip because we all hate that person. And even though you may see their flaws, we ought to be the people of peace. Pursue peace. Make peace a passion in your home. In conclusion, it was John Lennon. Remember John Lennon from the Beatles? Amen. Boomers, come on now. All right, hallelujah. And uh, it was John Lennon who wrote a song, short little protest song. Some of you probably were sitting in college in the 60s, some of you boomers singing this or whatever. All we are saying, come on, boomers, help me out, is give peace a chance, right? All we are saying is give peace a chance. See, you millennials thought you first came up with that. No, we... We weren't the first to come up with it either, even before our time. Everybody, from the beginning of time, mankind has been crying out, give peace a chance. And sad to say, Lennon was shot dead by a deranged individual around Christmas time. Remember? December the 8th, 1980, I remember. It like it was yesterday. Our eternal peace, however... It's not on a slogan that you can sing. Our eternal peace is in the personage of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He is our peace. Peace, he said, I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, but give I unto you. Amen. He's given us his peace. The peace of Christmas is in the person of Christ. Peace will never have a chance in your home, in our nation, in the world until the Prince of Peace rules in our hearts. And it starts with us, starts with each individual, not with a nationwide or worldwide movement. Do you have peace today? It's the real question. Christmas reminds us that Christ, God's agent of peace, was born, that we might be born again, that we might have everlasting peace through faith in him. Peace is God's destiny for those who put their faith in Christ. Psalm 29 verse 11 says, The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Thank you, Lord. Do you have peace today? Have you received the gift of God's everlasting peace, of hope, of love, of joy, and of peace. I pray before you leave here today that you will. This is your hour to have peace in your time. Well, thanks for catching up with us on the CWCCS podcast with Pastor Al Pittman. As we close out the year, would you consider doing two things? One, share today's podcast with a friend. And two, visit CWCCS.org to give a year-end gift and support this ministry. That's cwccs.org. It's also where you can find the full teaching archive. This program has been presented 
by Calvary Worship Center of Colorado Springs.